This is Weekly Signals Interviews, broadcasting every Tuesday morning, 8 to 9, Pacific Time on KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In his new book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction, our guest today, Gabor Mate, looks at the epidemic of addictions in our society, tells us why we are so prone to them, and what is needed to liberate ourselves from their hold on our emotions and behaviors. For over 10 years, Mate has been the staff physician at the Portland Hotel, in a residence and harm reduction facility in Vancouver's downtown east side. Gabor Mate, welcome to Weekly Signals. Hi, good morning. How are you doing today? Well, I'm fine, thanks. Very good. What's it like in Vancouver? Or is it a, a you know, nice... it's it's uh, summer. It just doesn't want to arrive here, even though it's scheduled to be here in five days. It's cool and uh, and cloudy and windy. Oh my goodness! Well, I hope you get sunny weather soon. What what's it like there at the uh, the Portland Hotel where you work? Uh, what's what's a day to day schedule for you? What happens? Well, the people I work with are hardcore drug addicts in Vancouver's downtown east side, and um, which is probably North America's most concentrated area uh, for a drug-addicted population. And these people are hardcore injection users of heroin, and cocaine, and crystal meth. Wow. They smoke crack, and whatever else they get their hands on, many of them have HIV, hepatitis C, mental illness, or all three. So my work with them involves um, dealing with the medical issues that arise from uh, their addictions, including their HIV and so on, their many infections, abscesses, and all that, mm-hmm. their mental health issues, but also in trying to mitigate the the harm that's done to these people by by the very un- unlightened and unscientific social and political and medical attitudes towards drug addiction. Well, I'll explain that a little bit more. Uh, how do you mean that they're, they're- political uh, attitudes to their addictions? Well, the addict is seen as sort of the the villain of today's society. And uh, whereas when you actually look at it, people become addicted because they have overwhelming pain for which the drugs are their temporary answer. And every single one of my patients in the downtown east side here was severely abused as a child. Um, Abuse and stress and neglect actually shape the brain in ways that make addictions nearly inevitable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's a response to suffering that most of us can't even imagine. And then their activities become illegal because of the so-called war on drugs, and so that people now are being re-punished for having been abused in the first place. Mm-hmm. And given that stress is the biggest driver of addictive behaviors and relapse into addiction, when you stress people, you make it simply impossible for them to be rehabilitated. Yes. Now, uh, before we get and, and, and much, you know, up here in Canada, of course, we have somewhat more progressive policies than obtained in the U.S. But because of U.S. pressure, it's difficult actually to do anything. For example, I work with a safe injection site, North America's first supervised injection site. Where people bring their drugs and they inject with sterile needles under sterile conditions and under supervision, and there is terrific opposition to that from the White House, and uh, which has been taken to heart by the Canadian government. So it's a battle to keep that place open. So the work done here is as much trying to mitigate the effects of social policy as it is the, effect, the, the effort to mitigate 
the effects of drug use itself. Well, right now I'd like to apologize for the war on drugs here in the state. I, <laughs> Are you responsible for it? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't think so, but I'd still like to take... Somebody's got to say we're sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, do. yeah. Well, it's not the only war you're fighting well, these days that you might wish to apologize for. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Well, I, is this does this uh, this need to punish the people in pain and and going through the the addictions? Uh, is this does this speak to some sort of religious spiritual uh, perspective on that these people are somehow weak and or that they deserve? to be punished because they're they're ill i mean not be, people don't see it as saying that they don't say it that way because they're ill but because they're somehow weak of spirit is that where a lot of this well, comes I, from? I don't want to call it spiritual but you can often call it religious that is yeah a, religious there you go the distinction i think yeah. uh there's certainly a moralistic judgmental perspective yeah. that people that are weak uh will that they're making mistakes that they could avoid what's not sufficiently appreciated is that the scientific research is totally clear now Mm-hmm. The human brain develops an interaction with the environment. And the circuits of pain relief and pleasure and incentive and motivation, which is what the drugs actually address, mm-hmm. develop or don't develop based on the environment. And so children who are abused or neglected, their brains don't develop the same way. Their circuitry doesn't develop biochemically. They're not the same kind of brains. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if that was understood, there'd be no room for moralizing and for, and for punitive attitudes. But I think... The issue speaks to the addictive nature of the whole society we live in. I mean, even your president says that we're addicted to oil. And, and if we, <laughs> yeah. and he should know because he's been working for oil companies all his life. And, and, and if, he, um, if you look at addiction, not as a relation to a substance, but as any behavior that has negative consequences, but one still craves it and relapses into it, mm-hmm. and then, then Bush is exactly, totally right. We're addicted to oil, and the cost is, the impact is, we're destroying the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the, what is the effect of my patient's drug addiction compared to our society's addiction to, to uh, wealth and to a kind of lifestyle that, that actually is destroying the earth? And so I think what it is is that we're scapegoating the addict. We're, we're, we're kind of um, seeing in him and her the very fault that, are suffused throughout our whole culture, yeah. and uh, it's the old scapegoat phenomenon. You 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 pour you pour your sins on somebody else's head, and then you force him to the margins and you ostracize him. And what we can't stand about the addict is that he resembles so much like the, the rest of us. I mean, I recognize myself personally. Mm-hmm. My drug addicted patients. I've had my own addictive behaviors. You know, yeah. not as devastating, but but you know, still with all kinds of negative consequences. So. Our, our drive to judge the addict, I think, is very much our difficulty dealing with who we are ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now, you, your own addictive behaviors, uh, could you talk a little bit about those? What, what well, did you discover I, you about know, as a physician, I get to have uh, respectable addictions. One is work. <laughs> you know? so, so an addiction, again, is something you crave, and it's an, it's an attempt to get away from stress or from negative feelings. So you're trying to solve a problem from the outside, which can only result from the inside. So one way to make myself feel important or to re- reduce boredom or alienation, a sense of lack of purpose, a kind of deficient emptiness that's at the heart of all addictions, is to throw myself into work and make myself important and, and desired, and I can get addicted to that. I have been. Another form of addiction I've had is, is sh- compulsive shopping uh, for, in my case, classical compact music. <laughs> it is. 
But, you know, I spent as much as $8,000 one week on that. And, and it wasn't a question of choice. I mean, it was always a question of just getting one more and one more and one more. Mm-hmm. Typical addictive behaviors. And the negative consequences mm-hmm. are that I lie to my wife and, I, and I'm not present for my children. And so, not to mention the, own, the loss of sense of self that I experience. Loss of self-valuation that that you experience whenever you give yourself over to a compulsion, so that what I'm saying about addictions in this book, uh, which incidentally is a bestseller in Canada and will be published in the states uh, in next year. Yes, in spring. Um, uh, And it's uh, what I'm saying is that addiction is a continuum, Uh, and the the drug addicted patients that I work with are at the extreme end of the continuum, but but most of the rest of us are on it as well. Mm-hmm. We're speaking with Gabor Mate. The book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. It's available at Amazon.ca right now. That would be uh, Canada's Amazon. And also next spring of 2009, uh, Sterling Publishing here in the U.S. is going to be uh, publishing it. Uh, do you sense that there was a reluctance from U.S. publishers to take hold of this book? Because, well, we might be a little bit more of addicted personalities down here in the States. Uh, it's my fourth book, and all, all the other three have been published in the States. Uh-huh. Uh, the, um, but there was only one American publisher that was interested. I mean, all the ones that, you know, despite the fact that I think it's my best work, and I, yeah. I think it speaks to a universal phenomenon, and it's been extremely well received here in this country. Um, American publishers are reluctant, and I, it's hard for me to say why. I think, uh... I think some American publishers felt that the American public wasn't ready to hear such a perspective on addiction. Um, I think uh, my chapter on the war on drugs is very much critical of the American-led uh, uh, effort to, you know, to make drugs illegal and 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 um, and to ostracize drug addicts. I'm not sure what the reason is, but yeah. unfortunately, I have found a publisher, and uh, yeah. quite, they're they're quite keen on the book. So I want to I want to find find out from you and your experience of working with addicts in Vancouver, uh, and it's been my experience having uh, I, uh, good friends of mine run a homeless shelter, and there's was initially a tremendous amount of resistance in the neighborhood regarding right. them doing this, but as things have progressed and as they've become um, better, more effective at what they do. Uh, the people in the surrounding community see the benefits uh, that uh, far outweigh any of the disadvantages that might it might at first seem to be the case. Uh, are you seeing uh, that in your work? Do you see some of these barriers being broken down by the work that you're doing in in Vancouver and other places? Well, the supervised injection site, uh, which uh, sees hundreds of people inject there every day, mm-hmm. at first was opposed by the local merchants and the police and so on. You know. Mm-hmm. And but now they all support it yeah. because they see the advantages. There's less shooting up in the streets, right. fewer needles found in, in you know storefronts and, and the whole bit. And um, the the NIMBY phenomenon, you know, the not in my backyard, uh-huh. is powerful everywhere. And people are naturally concerned. Yeah, people are naturally concerned and worried about their kids and the neighborhood. But but when programs are well run and when uh, shelters are well organized, usually. People find that their fears far outweighed reality. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch the police uh, who used to harass the, the 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 shelter now bring people there, and they make sure that uh, people who are there 
uh, in that neighborhood are um, you know protected. Uh, they're they're more vigilant about predators who come into the area, t- hoping to take advantage of these people. And yeah. uh, you know, yeah. so you see more. Um, and another thing, and you, you mentioned but where, where is this, Mike? It's in uh, in uh, Santa Ana. It's the it's called uh, which is in Orange County, Orange California. County, Orange County, California. Yeah. It's called the Catholic Worker. And you, well, that sounds great. And I think what it shows is that yeah. most people, most of the time, actually want to be compassionate. Yeah, they they want to. I mean, the Obama phenomenon in the states. If it shows nothing else, it shows that people are many people are tired of the us and them mentality. Yeah, you know, yeah. and. Um, and that seems to with drug addicts, and I think people recognize the humanity of, of the addict if they only look. Yeah. And, well, and, and you know, the, the was, it was in California that there was a big study, 17,000 of the people, which showed that adverse childhood experiences account for 80% of, of, of substance use. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's, it, but these people have suffered, and they continue to suffer. It's exactly right. I, I think that what you had, the dynamic you described is absolutely accurate. These people are punished for be, having already been punished in their life, and uh, exactly. Uh, I want to. I, I I can't let you get away without mentioning some of your other books because during the research uh, leading up to our interview with you, um, you have written some remarkable books. Uh, I've read uh, some of them or some parts of them anyway. When yeah. the body says no. And uh, and scattered minds. It's uh, these are two very very good books. Um, I well, just... in the states, scattered minds is called scattered. Did I, I say? Think, okay. I think it's an attention deficit disorder. Yeah. And, and the, the American publisher, I don't think, I think was afraid that the American public would react against the word mind, so they. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that one, but okay. anyway, they call it scattered. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I, I what I do with all of these books is I look at things from a, a larger perspective than just the usual medical approach. I like to put things in context. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, your, your, your approach seems to be, you, exa- you're more holistic, and I, that's a word that's been abused over the years, but I, you, you have a, your approach to uh, these mind-body uh, illnesses is, uh, is, is quite on target as far as I can tell. So. Well, I think it is, and it's also based on uh, scientific research and my knock against the medical profession in addiction and in other fields as well is that we don't actually pay attention to the research. I mean, much of the research that go, went into all of my books is that has actually been done in the United States, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and um, it, it, it's not even controversial. Yeah. Uh, you can't separate mind from the body. If it's, I mean, that we know that now, yeah. but most physicians still practice as if you could. Mm-hmm. And you can you can't separate people's addictions from their childhood histories, but most physicians still practice as if you could. So yeah. matter of bringing things together. Yeah, it's it's reading your your work uh, has been uh, uh, tremendously eye opening for me in terms of a recognition of people I know, and in recognizing things in this work uh, of myself. So uh, I appreciate and thank you for that. We're speaking with Gabor Matei. The book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. And earlier you were talking about attunement. And, uh, you know, that is something that is lacking in some of the addicts and that is lacking in all of us in some ways. What's the first step that we can take to get into tune? Attunement. Yeah. Well, the, the work on attunement has been done mostly at UCLA uh, by uh, Alan Shore, who's a wonderful psychologist there, and also the work of Dr. Daniel Siegel, who's a psychiatrist, who's actually speaking up in Vancouver uh, tomorrow. Um, attunement is two people being in tune, uh, sharing the same emotional space, and communicating the one to the other that they do share the space. Now, it's an essential component of child development. When the parents are not attuned with the child, the child's brain circuits don't develop as well as they might. So it's basically human connections, in Daniel Siegel's phrase, 
are necessary for neuronal connections, for connections in the brain. And so children who, don't, who are not attuned with uh, simply grow up with a sense of disconnect, with a sense of poor sense of themselves, and um, with some essential brain circuits not functioning as well as they might. But what's getting in the way of parental attunement these days, of parents being in tune with their kids, is not lack of love or lack of commitment, because that hasn't changed, but so much stress on parents these days. And also because of the breakup of the traditional village of attachment, the clan, the tribe, the community, the neighborhood, the extended family. Parents are isolated and stressed and economically driven. And the children are just not getting the attuned uh, interactions with nurturing adults that they need. And that has many, many consequences. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing much more problems in terms of childhood development, ADHD, autism, uh, you know, childhood bipolar disorder, and these, this can't be explained in genetic grounds because genes don't change in a population over 10, 15 years. What has changed dramatically with each generation of parents is the lack of attunement, which is getting worse and worse. And then kids are getting hooked instead to TV sets and video games and computers, less and less human contact, more and more relying on each other for emotional contact as immature, as immature creatures that can't provide that to each other. So there's a real disaster yeah. for child development in North America. I remember we we were we talk, talked about a story uh, a few months ago about a study done on I believe it was American children about this uh, uh, pathological narcissism that has uh, become a phenomena among um, younger people, and uh, it sounds very much like the the condition that you're describing here. Well, it's, it's, very, it's very simple. You see, narciss- narcissism is a healthy and normal. Res- uh, um, quality of the very young child yeah. who thinks that the whole world is about himself or herself. Yeah. Uh, you know, basically, one year, one and a half year olds are narcissists. It's not a moral situation; it's a developmental situation. Right. When they get their needs met, they develop out of it. Right. The, the kids who don't get their needs met get stuck in it, yeah. and that's what's happening more and more these days. Right. That children don't, you know, so that. Whether you talk about addiction or other developmental issues or, or, or mental health problems, uh, overeating, uh, which is the, the you know the the uh, the um, epidemic of obesity amongst kids, people think it's because of television and sedentary lifestyles and and junk food. No, that's just the surface. Mm. The fact is, kids are soothing themselves with food because they're not being soothed emotionally, mm. and then they turn to junk food, and then they turn to television to soothe them so they don't become active. But those are secondary manifestations of the lack of soothing. And, uh, in fact, if you look at the brains of overeaters, they look exactly like the brains of drug addicts. Huh. Well, this is remarkable work, uh, and you're doing uh, some, uh, some much-needed therapy and, 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 and continue your good work. We have run out of time. Uh, Gabor Mate, the book is In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. Thank you for being here on Weekly Signals. My pleasure. Thanks so much. To learn more about Weekly Signals interviews, including upcoming guests, or to download the podcast, visit our website at weeklysignals.com. And be sure to visit nathancallahan.com for daily readings and feature articles. Until next week, I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. And this is Weekly Signals.